Now I have a picture here, and uh, this is a this is Taisuke Miyagawa. Taisuke Miyagawa is a college football player in Japan. And this was a national press conference that he held in Japan, and he was the topic. And what happened was this. They do play college football in Japan, and they do have rivalries just like how we do. And they do take their football seriously, although it's not a very popular sport. There's a subculture that takes it extremely seriously. And uh, these two rival schools are playing, one from Tokyo, one from Osaka, a little bit south, and they're playing in a very heated game. Well, this player, Taisuke, came and threw an illegal hit on their quarterback of the opponent, opposing team. The quarterback threw the ball, and I looked at the tape. It's on the internet. About three seconds, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. You see him screaming across the screen and hitting him on the back and at the back of the legs. The quarterback was knocked out. Okay, so this became, this incident dominated Japan, J Japanese news for 2018. This is probably the top headline on NHK National News and all the headlines on the newspapers. And you would ask yourself, you should ask us, how did a weak sport like Japan, uh, football capture the hearts and minds of the Japanese people for 2018? Now, football is king in this country. I get it. We're, this day is like an epic day for that. But in Japan, this is, a very, this is not a very popular sport. And, I mean, this, in 1930s, American missionaries brought football into Japan. They've been playing ever since, but it hasn't been a big deal. This whole news story wasn't about rivalries. It wasn't about any Japanese college championships. It wasn't any about skills or tactics or any missed calls by the referees. All right, this, this was not that. What happened is in the, at this press conference is, Taisuke apologized, and he was apologizing to the opponent that he hurt and his family, and really, in essence, to Japan. He revealed that his head coach had instructed him to do this, to take out this player. Now, that's a huge deal in Japan because if your boss tells you to do something wrong, you're going to go down with a ship before you, you call him out. This is completely countercultural in Japan. So this wasn't about the sport. This wasn't about anything else. What this was about was the abuse of authority. And this is what happened in Japan. And this is what, how God has opened up a door for me to go out and do clinics, football clinics. And it, God providentially had it so that I could do a clinic in Tokyo and in Osaka. And providentially at that university and the opponent's university. I find that pretty incredible. Not only that, the Japanese Football Federation got wind that I was going to come, and they wanted me to, they get, they're gathering, they wanted me to address and tell them, what is, what is the heart of coaching all about? What is coaching all about? And today, we're talking about what is at the heart of eldership. And we're going to be at an Acts 20. We're going we're to uh, be in a couple different texts, but Acts 20 is where we're going to open up. So Acts 20 Let's see what the Bible talks about, what the heart of eldership is all about. Acts 20, as you're turning there, we're going to start off in verse 17. But Paul, the apostle, is basically giving a farewell message to the church of Ephesus. He loves this church. Pastor Timothy, the senior pastor, he's mentored. And he's gathering the elders together, the leadership of the church together, and giving them instruction because he knows that he will never see them again on this side of eternity. And he wants to give them a meaningful message before he leaves. 
So let's rise. We're going to be at Acts 20, verse 17. This is leadership in the church, how Christ has called his church to be led. Verse 17, Paul speaks to the, to the elders. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him, to him, Paul, the elders of the church, plural, elders. Now let's skip to verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves, Paul warns, and for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So precious. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul loves his church. Verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. These false teachers will draw your eyes away from Christ and to themselves. Verse 31, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you or warn each one with tears. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you for how you have just wired Paul, how you, he loved your church so much. Thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, that we will learn more about you, how you love us so much that you take care of your church thousands of years later. And you tell us exactly how to do it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. What is at the heart of eldership? We're going to start off with this. It's a plurality, plurality of leaders, all right? And in a sense, we're going to term this, it's called team leadership, group leadership. Team leadership is how God has called his church at the local level to be, to be led. Obviously, there's Jesus, Jesus, the head of the church, and underneath him at the local church level are a team of elders to love and, and care for the sheep. In the New Testament, there's all kinds of examples of elders. Paul gathers the elders, plural, in Ephesus right here in Acts. Peter exhorts the elders as a fellow elder to shepherd the sheep in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, as we read last week. James directs the elders to pray for those who are sick. It's all over. From Paul to Peter to James, 66 times this word elder is used in the New Testament. And, and all but three times they're used in the plural, elders. The three times is once when Peter uh, identifies himself as a fellow elder. And the two other times, John, uh, the apostle John, calls himself an elder, referring to himself in, in, in 2 John and 3 John. All other times, it's plural. Plural group of leaders taking care of the local church. In Jerusalem, at the Jerusalem church, there were elders in the book of Acts taking care of the church in Jerusalem. There is absolute power in, the, in team leadership. There's power. Greater power than singular leadership. The elder team is a united team of leaders equal in authority. All right, equal in authority. Qualified, meaning these men are above reproach. The, the things that we talked about last week. They have the character qualifications of being above reproach. Gifted to feed and to lead, to teach the flock and to lead the flock. These are your elders. This is what they do. They're uniquely crafted in, in personality and makeup. 
So these aren't a bunch of robots. They have the same qualifications. They have similar giftings, but they're unique in their personality and their makeup. They, they, these elders come from with various backgrounds and experiences. This is what a team is. You, you put together a collection of this, and this is the beauty of what happens. This is at the heart of eldership, team leadership. And one of the benefits of team leadership is this, team accountability, number one. This is to guard against sin. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul exhorts Timothy as understood, hey, pay close attention to your life, how you live, your soul, and your doctrine. So the elders need to watch their lives over sin. You don't want a sinning elder running your church. In Acts 20, going back to Acts 20, 28, the issue is sin. Listen here, it says, be on guard for yourselves. Paul says, be on guard, watch yourselves. And then I'm going to skip ahead. It goes, from among your own selves, from your own eldership, and even your church congregation, church at Ephesus, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul continues to write, therefore be on, or Paul continues to say, therefore be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul kept praying, kept warning the elders, watch out for this. How are you doing here? Watch out. This is a temptation. Money. You don't want to, money is the root of all evils. He's, he's warning them. He's pastoring these elders. Keep in mind, elders are still sheep. Elders still need pastors to pastor them. There's a, when I was up in Washington, I was invited by a good friend, Sherman Smith. And I guess maybe the Lord was already stirring in my heart at that time. This must have been like 2011. And he invited me to his eldership group, a discipleship group led by their pastor, Pastor Ken Hutcherson, faithful pastor. Love the word, just strong leader. But maybe because I was a guest in there, maybe he wanted to make a point. The tone, got, it was like a lot of laughter and kind of just, as, as, as just getting together, a lot of good fellowship. All of a sudden, the tone just changed all of a sudden. It got really serious. And I'm just saying that, well, Sherman, I'm not, am I not supposed to be here? Is he mad that I'm here? Because I was a guest. And Sh Brother Sherman, he's an older brother. He took me under his wing. And Ken Hutcherson basically was saying, hey, look, guys, you all are here for a reason. You guys are leaders. You're serious about God's word. You're serious about God. You're serious about his people. Satan will love to take you out right now to affect the leadership, to affect the church. That's how Satan will attack the leadership. So Pastor Ken was just warning us, just like as Paul was warning us and, and giving us admonishment and thinking about, hey, we need to be in here together. People were actively just openly talking about issues and concerns and temptations. And there was shepherding going on. There's pastoring going on amongst the pastors, amongst the elders. I saw this picture right there. I said, I see. There are no lone wolves. You need men. So with, 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 the team, with team accountability, elders are able to shepherd each other, watch out for each other. Everyone's on equal authority. This is what was happening in that meeting. And it just opened my eyes up to this whole thing like, Wow. Pastors need to be pastored too. And so this is one of the benefits of, 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 of team uh, leadership. There's team accountability. Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so, man, so one man sharpens another. 
Iron needs another uh, element such as iron to get sharpened. Iron cannot be sharpened by something softer. Iron needs iron. And sometimes as you're sharpening each other, there's going to be sparks that fly. There's some hard things that's going to be talked about in love. There's going to be some friction at times. Well, this is what elders do. We sharpen one another. This is the, one of the beauties of eldership. And we sharpen each other to live holy before the Lord. And we sharpen each other to the motivation of work. When I, was, when I used to work out seriously, right now I work out on my own. It's not that serious anymore. But when I worked out with a team, oh, it got really serious. You better come with your A game because there's guys looking at you like, all right, man, you better go. You better push me. You better spot me. You better yell at me. You got to push yourself. If something happens, you may be tired that morning coming in and you got your, you're dressed up and all of a sudden, boom, it hits you. It's time. There's something about team that raises everyone's level of intensity and seriousness. And same thing with eldership. Elders would motivate one another. Hey, take seriously the work of eldering. We have to take this seriously. Are, is this ready? Like you talked about last month. Is this prepared? We're counting on this. Things have, how are you doing? This is team. This is how it's done. It's, the, it's such a beautiful element. I've seen this in, in different contexts work in this way. This is how God brings together a group of men to motivate each other. Here's another element here. This team accountability guards against blind spots, distorted judgment. Here, here's an example that Alexander Strzok author of Biblical Eldership wrote. This, is, this has been a very helpful book for us as we journey, the leadership has been journeying through eldership. He writes, in a team leadership structure, however, different members complement. See that? So how, this is how God works. The body complements one another. But in the elder team, the elders complement one another and ba- balance one another's weaknesses. Here, for example, if one elder has a tendency to act too harshly with people, the others can temper his harshness, right? We understand this. If some members fear confrontation with people, others can press for action. This is a complementary work that in the eldership team. So team accountability is a huge benefit that comes from team leadership. Second thing, teamwork. This shared ministry load, okay? Shared ministry load. The picture that, an example that, that's come up is out of Exodus 18. And this is where Jethro, Mo, Moses' father-in-law, gives uh, Moses some sage advice. Moses just inherited a million people now all of a sudden, and he's the leader. And he's trying to judge between disputes and, and take care of the flock of God. And Jethro sees this, and, and at verse 14, he goes, Now when F- Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? I mean, look, look there's a lot of wisdom there. He doesn't come out and just tell his son-in-law what to do. He asks him questions. Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people standing, stand about you from morning until evening? He's asking them these questions. Verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the, the people came to me to inquire of God. They've come to me. For advice about God, when they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. All right, verse 17, he comes out, Jethro comes out and says it. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. My son, I love you. I love my daughter. You're going to fall apart. Look at verse, 16, uh, verse 18. You will surely wear out 
both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Moses, you're going to wear out. You're going to fall apart. But at the same time, the people are going to get worn out because you're not going to be able to take care of them properly. There's too many of them, and there's only one of you. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. You pray for the people. Verse 20, then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. You teach them. You, you pray for the people. You teach the people. In verse 21, this is his advice. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men who take God seriously, men of truth, men who know the truth, men of integrity, those who hate dishonest gain. You shall place these over as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. This reminds me of what's happened here at Evergreen to some level. Moses had incredible wisdom, incredible insight to love on his son-in-law and really love on the nation of Israel. This is what was best. God used Mo, uh, Jethro to shape Moses in the area of leadership. Although this is not an eldership, the staff that I've inherited here at Evergreen SGV has been incredible. I want to give you affirmation, confidence in the staff that Pastor Corey has assembled. These men, these women, are, they love the Lord, first of all. They love Christ. That's good. Secondly, they're very gifted. They're good at what they do. Thirdly, they're committed to the work of ministry. Hours of work. Taking the work very seriously. And I'm so blessed that uh, Pastor Corey assembled this team, and I've had a year and a half, over a year and a half, to kind of evaluate, get to know the, the men and the women. I was like, I'm just absolutely amazed. So amazed. I'm so grateful. And there's a lot of teamwork going on already as we speak, and as ministry uh, work is just shared, it allows me to stay in my lane, to feed the flock, be a primary teacher or preacher of his word, and to lead the flock. So this is, a, I'm just so grateful for this. And just in the area of just shared ministry, when eldership is installed, this will be a shared pulpit. I mean, my role, I'll have the lion's share of the preaching and teaching, but other men, other elders will be up here preaching God's word. There's shared ministry even at this level. Soul care. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. God will judge you on how well you cared for the souls of the flock of God. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. What does soul care entail? Well, it's feeding. Feeding the flock. It entails protecting the flock from false teachings. It entails a correction, perhaps, gently, but directly, firmly. Caring for the flock emotional care, physical care. James says to go and pray for those. Elders, pray for those who are sick. Lay hands on them for, who, who are struggling with things of physical Ill ailments. Equipping the saints, training the sheep to be effective for the work of ministry. And the list goes on and on and on. It's endless. Can you see how daunting of a task this is for one person? This is team. This is team where we share the responsibilities of these things. As we, work, as we talk about the, the element of teamwork in team leadership, this is an example of what it could look like. A certain elder has 
perhaps advanced education, might have a doctorate, a master's. Perhaps God would use this elder or this man to beef up the adult biblical education. Maybe 9.30 hour, church school hour would be ramped up through the, through the gifts of this one brother. Perhaps there would be a certain elder who has a passion for prayer, unique passion for prayer, where we're together as elders. He'll, he'll, be, he'll draw us to our knees and we'll be praying for the church. Perhaps a certain elder will have this... Uh, unique wisdom or common sense about him. So as we're talking about complex issues in the church, he'll just ask and bring up up the right questions to make the situation really simple. Perhaps a certain elder will have a a gifting and acumen in a a financial background and he'll be able to help steward the finances of our church better. Perhaps a certain elder has, has a unique gift of leadership and he's able to move the leadership group so this is how this team, work, team leadership works. God brings in qualified men who all have the right skill sets, but also uniquely gifted to add to this team. This is what it looks like. Team, teamwork. I'm going to take a sidebar here, okay? And I'm going to just um, talk about this thing that I just started looking at, and I'm just going to throw this question out at you. Can you guess the job? that I'm referring to. I'm going to throw out some clues. Okay, so as you're sitting down, I want you to start compiling these clues. And, and you, you don't have to shout it out, okay? You don't have to shout out your guess, but in your mind, can you guess who I'm talking about? What kind of job am I talking about, okay? This man or woman, here's the first clue. Man or your woman takes year-round schooling and he or she has a lot of homework. That's clue number one. Clue number two. He or she is required to travel a lot and be away from their family a lot and oftentimes at night. Clue number two. Here's number three. These men or women, probably most of them work two jobs. They have to work two jobs to support their families. Fourth clue. These men or women feel a lot of concerns and complaints. A lot of complaints and concerns are directed towards these people. There's no glory in what they do and a lot of criticism comes their way. All right, are you kind of guessing who this, who, what type of job this might be? Last thing, they're constantly judged. These men and women are constantly judged. All right? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about a referee, okay? And <laughs> I'm talking about a referee, and in particular, the NFL referee. I mean, we know how our home team, LA Rams, are in the Super Bowl. And, and for those of us that, who've been looking at anything, knows how there's been so much attention, so much criticism on a missed call or non-call, right? We understand this. We'll take it, but we understand this. And the question was asked to one, these refs, why do you do this? In this day and age of the Internet where the, these referees have become way more visible, you could blog stuff. You could say all kinds of stuff on social media. That question was, why do you do this? And this is the response that one of them gave. That's an easy question to answer, says ESPN NFL rules analyst and former referee Jeff Triplett. Maybe he got out, he's doing the right thing now, doing an analyst instead of being a referee. But Jeff Triplett says this, we do it because we love it. In no unclear terms, he just because we love it. This is why we do it. And now going to eldership now. Now going back to eldership. Acts 20, 28 says this. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock 
to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Elders are supposed to watch over the church where Christ paid with his own blood. James 3 1 says this, let, no, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. James is giving warnings, uh, writing warning to those who are aspiring to be teachers and preachers. Like, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Because you're going to get judged more stricter by the chief shepherd himself, the one who purchased the church with his own blood. Are you sure you want the keys to the car? Are you sure you really want that responsibility? I mean, teachers and preachers, First of all, you need to preach and teach. We will be judged on how accurately we're actually teaching and preaching the Bible. That's one. That's a huge, daunting responsibility. You spend all week thinking and looking at the text. Second thing, since teachers and preachers know the most, potentially, you're going to be held accountable for living it out. There's no ignorance. I didn't know God. Like, no, no, you knew. And the Bible clearly says you will be judged even harder. Who would want this responsibility? Honestly, we talked about it with the life of the ref, but who would want this responsibility as an elder? This draws me back to a story that our brother John Horry shared <laughs> at the All Church Conference. And to those of you who are there, you remember the story. Brother John and his family up in Washington, providentially, we get to become friends through this. And, I, you know, I took him out to this uh, dinner place, uh, thir- this place called 13 Coins. I mean, this is one of those places that look like Goodfellas, you know, with a high back seat. I'm like, man, this is a cool little place, and we're going to go get a good steak, John. Come, let's hang out for a little bit. So we're just laughing and talking, and I just get prompted to ask him, hey, who do you think is going to be the next senior pastor of Evergreen when Pastor Corey retires? I mean, this is way before Pastor Corey called me or anything like that, right? And his response is classic. You know how we have that timeline outside? Then you see, say something that goes, I pity the fool. You know, I think it's 2016. And that's what he goes, I don't know, but I pity the fool who's going to have that job. <laughs> and I will call him, as, like, after Pastor Corey called me in August of 2006, I said, hey, bro, you knew, huh? He goes, no, I did, I did. <laughs> but, I mean, I think I, I'm drawn back to, like, Mr. T from the 80s when he goes, I, I, I pity the fool, but... I think John meant in two levels. One level is like, who wants to follow up a legend like Pastor Corey? Faithful pastor. All right, in the coaching world, you don't want to follow up someone like that. You want to follow up a program that's been struggling, so you come in and just infuse life right away. All right, you, that, so in one sense, I think he meant that. But also, John being a, a pastor himself, he understood the rigors. He understood what, what God calls for his people. And in a sense, like, you will be judged harder. Are you sure? Who would want to do that job? I pity the fool. Going back to uh, this referee, uh, uh, Jeff Triplett, this is what he says in addition, to why, in addition to why he does what he does. The lows, they're pretty low. I mean, for those refs, I mean, I know some of those refs, and, and, and they're good guys, and they've done good, job, good work over the years. The lows can be lows. This is pretty tough for those who are involved with that, uh, that no call. But the highs, they win. The friendships and experiences, the memories, they win. It's hard, right? We understand this. But anything worth having or doing is hard, right? We, we all understand this. Anything good is going to take some work and some heartache. Why? Did I do it? 
because I loved it. And he he adds another line after this. Even when it didn't love me back, he just loved it. This is, what, this is how he was built. This is how he was wired. Elder, if you're sitting out there, this is how you're wired. You understand the weight and the daunting task of what God says this work is going to be like. And if you're a lay elder, you're going to be working two jobs. We understand this. And if you're an elder, you're going to come with concerns from the church. You will get critiqued. And, but more importantly, the harsher thing is you will be judged even more stricter by God himself. And you fully understand this, and, but in your heart, man, I can't think of anything more else I'd rather do than this. I can't, there's nothing in the world I'd rather do, do than this. I won't stoop to be a king of a nation. I'd rather be an elder at Evergreen SGV. This is how much you love the church. So I say that to encourage anyone out there. Perhaps the Lord is stirring in your hearts. You know, but there's a reality to this. There's a real side on the other side of the coin. It's awesome. It's a great responsibility. It's a great mercy. But on the other side, there's a stricter judgment. This is a real thing that we all need to consider. Point number three here of team leadership is team decision-making. There will be a lot of decisions made in the life of this church. There have been a lot of decisions made already prior to this but as we move to eldership this is where we'll be a team decision where men will come together and pray and bring in their knowledge and expertise and their giftings to make decisions for the church an example of this came in acts 15 where the jerusalem council was confronted with a massive issue that sets the trajectory of our faith forever there was this group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers was basically saying, hey, you need to believe in Christ and the gospel, but also live Jewish. You have to eat a certain way. You got to maintain certain Sabbaths. But for specifically, you need to be circumcised men to be saved. They were adding to the gospel. So they bring this to the Jerusalem council. James was heading up the council. There's elders there. there Peter was there. Paul was there. And they bring up this issue. And they come together and say, no, 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 no. Thank God they did this. They got together and said, no. That is a false gospel. Christ alone, the work of the cross, is what saves a sinner from sinner to saint. And from that moment on, boom, that set the trajectory of our church. We're not going to have those type of dramatic decisions in the church. Praise God, those things have already been decided and cemented in the pages of Scripture. But issues will come up. How about this uh, counseling situation? How about this marriage situation? What about this building project thing? What about 9.30 church school hour? How should we do this? How should we come up with a preaching series? Men come together, spirit-led men who are qualified, gifted, and who love the church come together to make a decision on that. Team decision-making. And now you're, you're, how does this going to look? All right, how's this going to go? How are decisions made in the, in the church? Team effort. Peter in 1 Peter 5 Calls, exhorts the elders as their fellow elder. Elders are equal in authority. All right? Elders are equal in authority. And in essence, this is a mutual, humble submission brought amongst men who are part of the elder team. That's why in the qualifications, such a huge thing of being humble, gentle. Let me read you some of these again. Not self-willed. Elder must not be quick-tempered. Elder must not be pugnacious or a bully. 
An elder must be self-controlled, peaceable, humble. This is the elder that you're looking for because elders need to be able to work with one another. This is teamwork. This is team. You may ask, you know, okay, Pastor Rocky, we're going to eldership. Are we even going to have a senior pastor still? Right? Perhaps you've thought that. Answer is yes. I get to serve as that, as your senior pastor. In the Bible, James was the head of the Jerusalem church, although they have elders. All right? Timothy was a senior pastor at Ephesus. They had elders there, too. Peter was a spokesperson for the 12 disciples. Whenever there's a list of the disciples, he's always listed first in all of them from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. He was a chief sp- Peter was a chief spokesperson in the book of Acts. Okay? In the Old Testament, there are patterns of, uh, of leaders such as Moses and Abraham. So what's the difference then, you're asking? What is the role of a senior pastor? My primary role is I'm pastor-teacher. Teaching, preaching, this is a big thing for me that I have to steward and do well. It's leading the staff, I'm head of the staff. This is some of the functions that I serve. And you may ask, like, okay, senior pastor, do you have more than one vote? And I only get one vote. I don't have five votes, okay? So the, the authority structure is set up where we're equal, but I have a unique role. I'll serve as a spokesperson for the church even. So yeah, there'll be a senior pastor. I want to go back now. We talked about, just, just review here, team leadership has elements of team accountability to guard against sin. Team leadership has elements of teamwork, dividing up the work of ministry. Team leadership has elements of team decision-making. But let me just get back to the heart of it. The title, the sermon, what is it, the heart of eldership? And let me use this, the Japanese football situation as an illustration. So this Japanese football federation, they're bringing people from all over to hear me talk about what is at the essence of coaching? What is at the heart of coaching? And you know what I'm going to tell them? That two-hour meeting, this is what I'm going to tell them. That you love the game of football and you love your players even more. You coach because you love the game. But you also coach because you love the players even more. You take care of them. You watch over them. And most people don't understand this. Most people sitting here don't understand. That is the essence of coaching. You love your players. Theodore Roosevelt, this is a quote that we kind of shared amongst us coaches. said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's how players are. Players are very perceptive. Are you, are you just using me, coach, to gain, to win, or to move your career forward, or do you actually care about me? That's a huge element. Now let's move back to eldership here. What is at the heart of eldership? Let's turn to John 21. This will be worth it. If you've got your Bibles, take time to John 21. This will be cemented in your minds forever in your Christian walk. This, I, I believe you'll be even changed as, after you leave this uh, sanctuary today. Let's dig deep into John 21. We've got some time. We've got some time. Verse 15. Peter just denied Christ three times. Peter is despondent. He went back to a life of fishing ministry. And here's Jesus. This is how much he loves Peter. He comes after Peter now. Peter's questioning, oh, am I even cut out to be an apostle, a disciple? Uh, man, I, I failed you. Peter's humble, and here comes verse 15. Jesus cooks some breakfast, 
in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? Do you, Agapao, love me? Do you love me of your, of your will? Do you perfectly love me more than these? I believe he's talking about these, these fishing nets and fishing boats and fishing industry. Do you love me more than coaching? Do you love me more than what coaching offers you? Do you love me more than what fishing offers you? Money, esteem, identity, purpose, Peter. Do you love me more than these? And he said, Peter's response said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo, love you, Lord. You know I, I love you as a brother. I have strong affection for you. He said to him, well, tend my lambs. Feed my lambs, Jesus says. He's commissioning Peter right now. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agapo, agape love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. You know I love you. I have strong affection for you, Lord. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Poimano, my sheep, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you even phileo love me? He switches up to, do you even love me as a brother? Do you have that deep affection for me? And this is what grieved Peter. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo love me? Do you even love me as a brother? I know you don't love me perfectly because you failed me three times, but do you even love me as a dear, dear friend? Do you love me as a dear, dear brother? Jesus said, and, and Peter said, you know all things. You know that I phileo love you. I at least phileo love you. He, he counts on Jesus' knowledge, supernatural knowledge. Look into my heart, Lord. You know I at least love you. I care about you. Maybe not perfectly, but I do love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. <clears throat> the Lord doesn't require perfect love. What he requires is a genuine love. Peter genuinely loved Jesus. There's no question of that. He, he didn't love him perfectly. And perhaps that, that describes who you are. I know that describes me. If you are thinking... And God's throwing your heart. Maybe I'm an elder, and I, but I haven't loved Jesus perfectly. That's obvious. We know this. But do you genuinely love him? And really, this is a call to elders. As Paul is commissioned, uh, Peter's getting commissioned by Jesus. You're still my guy, Peter. You're still my guy. This is really a call also for all of us believers. I get it. We don't love God perfectly, Jesus perfectly. But do you genuinely love him? And this is what the heart of eldership is about. A man absolutely consumed with Christ. He loves Christ so much. He genuinely loves him so much that he will love his sheep. The picture that the Bible gives is this. It's, it's an oxymoron to say to somebody, I love you, my brother, but I can't stand your wife. We are the bride of Christ. If you love Christ, you'll love his bride. This is how it works. If you love brother so-and-so, you're going to love and care. You may not like the wife. And life may, there might be issues there, but you're going to care and love that wife. There's issues in the church. I get it. But do you genuinely love the Lord? You will love the sheep. A man who is absolutely in love with Christ 
will want to give Christ every single time he gets. Every counseling session, every song, every preaching session, every 930 hour. I'm going to give the people Christ because who else would I rather talk about? There's absolutely no one more compelling who ever walked the earth than Christ himself. Because the more you know Christ, the more you love him. The more you love him, the more you become like him. Any faithful pastor, any faithful elder has this in mind. This is the goal now to, to sanctify the sheep so they will become more like him. So that we could present Christ, the bride, someday, pure and unblemished. Jesus, this is your bride here at Evergreen SGV. This is why I labor. This is why I pray. This is why I get up early in the morning to do this. This is why I work two jobs because I love the church and I love you. This is the heart of eldership. There's team dynamics, but this elder loves Christ. Jesus asked, do you love me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. <clears throat> wow. John 21, thank you that you have that in, in the text. I thank you that you didn't end up at John 20, but you give John 21 for all of us who are still trying to walk the life with you. And for those of us, all of us, who are like Peter, who we've stumbled, who we haven't loved you perfectly, I, I, I thank you that you leave this in for us, that we would just be encouraged by how you just restored Peter by just reminding him, do you have a genuine love for me? So Father God, I pray for your church here at Evergreen SGV that we will love you we will have a genuine love for you. Grow our love for you, Lord, as we just stare into your face. Father God, I also pray for your provisions. Please raise up the men you've called to lead this church, men who are absolutely consumed with your son and men who love your church, men who will lay down their lives and their liberties for the church. So Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to take communion as a church family. God, I pray you stir in our hearts and you would, you would allow us to meditate on how much you love us, that you went to the cross for us. The amazing love that you showed for us on the cross, Lord Jesus. And that we will come to the table with pure hearts and our, heart, our love for you, our hearts will be radiating your love for you as we take communion. So Father God, I pray you are honored during this time. I pray that you are blessed as we take communion to honor your son. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.